Welcome to GTM Gals, a TAC network original created in partnership with Share Your Genius. I'm your host, Danny Howe, and I'm bringing you with me into my conversations with some of B2B tech's best and brightest women as they share their insights on growing both personally and professionally in this ever-changing industry. So grab your coffee or wine and let's dive in. Hey everyone, this is Danny, one of your GTM gals, and welcome to GTM Gals, the podcast. So I have another amazing guest today, Ashley Levesque from Banzai. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Nice to have you with us. And funny enough, I've actually met Ashley a few years ago when Banzai was doing their brand refresh. So definitely the company has been around for a long time. And also like I've been a customer of Banzai. I've used Demio and it's one of like the coolest products out there where you can like automate webinars and events and stuff like that. So just wanted to give you all a really huge shout out. But also Ashley has really led the team from like the beginning days all the way up to now where they're now a leader in the space too. So with Ashley today, would love to talk a little bit about your journey to becoming like VP marketing and also your entire origin story, essentially. So just for the folks out there in the audience, Ashley actually started her career as an EA, so executive assistant, and quickly proved that she really had the marketing chops and eventually got promoted to VP within just five years. So that's pretty insane. And she's a podcaster herself, a senior marketer leader, and also a mentor for other women like us. So Ashley, thank you so much for joining us again. We're super excited to have you. What a beautiful introduction. Thank you so much. That's so sweet and kind. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, and we are too. Let's get into it. Would love to learn a little bit more about your origin story. So I know like you started off as an EA, but like what made you click? What made you realize, hey, I love marketing. I'm good at it. And I want to like take this path forward. Yeah, great question. So I was an EA at a private equity firm, actually. And I really liked it. I liked the type A activity that really speaks to me and being able to keep things organized and help people and be a point person for a team. And I was there about a year when I got really hungry to do more. I wanted more responsibility. I wanted a growth path. I wanted an opportunity to um, continue to expand my professional opportunities. So I got a little bit more responsibility. I stayed about five years. I really, really, really loved it. But at this point, I I learned sort of the opportunity that arises to just say yes to stuff, even if you don't know how to do it. That's honestly how I got into being an EA to begin with. There was a hole. There was a gap in the team. And My director of administration came to me and said, listen, we just need a body to sit there. She said, you are not qualified for this job. Do not think that you're going to get this job, but we need a body. Will you just sit there? Yes, absolutely. I have no idea how to do the job. I was sitting there for a little while while they were interviewing other people for this job. You know, I'm helping to schedule these interviews. It was actually like a very surreal kind of like strange moment. Long story short, I worked really hard, learned a lot, asked questions to help get me up to speed. And I got the job. I was there for five years, loved it. Wanted to then move to being an EA in the corporate world. I moved out of private equity and I came to a robotics company out here in Boston. And I was the EA to the CEO. And we were a small startup. I was employee number 10. And we were starting to build sort of the go-to-market function and, and figuring out sort of requirements for that. 
And he turned to me at one point and he said, we need a marketing function. We're going to need to figure out how to do this. We need marketing automation. We need email marketing. We didn't have anything. He said, are you interested in figuring out what that looks like? And I was like, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. I really didn't. I had very minimal experience running like a small LLC that I myself navigated years before of my own little online business, but that was the extent of my experience. And so I did the same thing there that I did in the private equity firm. I self-taught, how do I get as much information as I can? I took advantage of a ton of free resources. And then I just started applying stuff. This was the best way to test out what was working, what wasn't working is I learned something and I test it. And over time, that became a marketing function, this process of learning and testing and learning and testing. And we needed to hire more people. So I hired marketing operations. I hired other marketers and continued to just say yes to stuff, even though I didn't know what I was doing. And I recognize that that is a privilege, right? I recognize that that is not something that is awarded or afforded to everybody, And I also found that when it was awarded and afforded to me, I would always say yes before I was ready to say yes. And so over the course of five years, I found myself reiterating that same playbook all the time and landed this VP of marketing role where I now oversee corporate marketing at the company and really love it. And am still continuing to say yes before I know how to do stuff. It is both my greatest superpower, I think, and also one of the scariest things that I do every single day. And I love that so much because I feel like for a lot of women, even when we're like applying for a job, right, we're thinking, oh, do we like match at least 70, 80% of the job description? And then when we find something like within that JD, we're like, oh, we don't know this. Maybe we can't do that. But I love what you're saying because you're saying like, hey, even if you don't know everything, try it out. And a lot of times you do figure it out on the job or when you're testing all of these things too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I think people don't reflect on enough inside of the corporate structure is learning how to learn. So taking a step back to identify how do I best receive information? How do I best apply that information? Really understanding how do I grow? What direction do I want to grow in? And that doesn't mean knowing the end title and salary that you want to find yourself at. It means having a sense of purpose that drives the behavior that you exhibit every single day. And for me, that behavior was baked in curiosity and not necessarily a desire for marketing specifically. It wasn't necessarily just about, I want to be a marketer. It was I want to do this thing I don't know how to do yet. And then I settled in and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting, this marketing thing. And I will say, you know, I love marketing. I hope I stay in marketing a long time. Do I think marketing is like for me? I don't know. I think I could do a lot of interesting things in my career. And it's because I've learned how to be a good learner. I've learned how to teach myself things I don't know how to do. I've learned how to ask hard questions, how to take advantage of resources, how to find mentors that are really valuable and supportive. And I think a lot of that goes into this as well. 
So let's get into that a little bit more because I feel like a lot of times like when people are in a new role or when they're feeling like they're stuck, it's almost like you don't know what you don't know. So I'm curious on like, how do you like find out that path for yourself? How did you know like what step to take next? How did you get better at learning? So um, when I was at the robotics company and I was building out this marketing function, I did a ton of Googling. I was that person who was on every single marketing newsletter. I downloaded every single lead magnet. People thought I was very interested in their products, probably across the board, even though I wasn't. I was just trying to teach myself basic concepts. And I did a ton of free courses. And over the course of that, not only did I learn basic marketing foundational skills, but I also was able to test my, my appeal to them. Is this interesting to me? Does this make me want to go one level deeper? Does this make me want to test out different products to see how I could apply this in my own work? And I found yes to both of them. And sometimes I think it really is just about diving headfirst and identifying foundational pillars to your function. These days, you can literally find all of it online, right? I mean, just do a Google search and identify what are the pillars to this function and how can I elaborate on those pillars and apply those pillars within my own business? What are the problems that I'm solving for and what unique capabilities do I bring to this function? So marketing was a lot about, you know, audience focus and solving real problems, right? That's a lot about what marketing is. My background prior to being an EA was in acting. I was an actress. And for me, I felt like that actually was a very unique perspective on marketing in that I know how to be presentational. I'm very good at public speaking. I also know the importance of having an audience as part of a story, storytelling with your audience, making sure that you're being clear and concise and serving them. And I thought, okay, I'm bringing this unique point of view to this function. And even if I don't know how to be the best marketer, I know how to bring this little piece of me into this. And I think that's a key part for people as they're trying to navigate, where do I start? Is start with yourself. What are your best qualities? What do you love to do? What are you fiery and passionate about? For some people like me in the beginning too with EA, it was my type A. I loved organizing and planning. I love scheduling and color coding. And that job lent itself well to that. Cool. So I did that. As you grow and evolve as a human, things that you love will change and adapt. And you'll be able to bring those things with you as you go into different jobs or careers even. I love that example. And it's almost like, you know, because you were an actress, you're literally putting yourself into also the customer's shoes too, right? You're almost like thinking about that. So I love that. And I think it goes back to, you know, that book by Marie Kondo, like Sparking Joy or something like that. It's kind of like what makes you spark joy in the things that you do. And it's not necessarily just like a title, like you mentioned. Maybe it's something that you lean towards. And there's probably other aspects of a job that you may not like, but what are the ones that do bring you joy? And how do you bring that to the next one? Love that advice. Yeah, definitely. And I think what we're finding too in our generation is very dissimilar from what was found in the boomer generation in terms of career length and loyalty. Boomers stayed at one company for their entire career. They didn't veer from that. They were the same spot for 20, 25 years, whatever. Today, 
Every two years, millennials are finding a new opportunity. They're getting an increase in salary and they're remaining competitive in the market. And people have a lot of different opinions about that, but there is an opportunity there to reinvent yourself every time. There's an opportunity to grasp at new things. And I think that that is a valuable skill set to learn at the very least. And I feel like also there's so many different paths now. Like before it was a little bit more linear where you stayed at a company, you got promoted and, you know, you almost had to ask for that or it was plotted for you. But nowadays I feel like there's more flexibility to where you could go. So I'm curious on your thoughts around this, because I know for some marketers I've talked to, they're like, hey, I don't know if I view myself as someone who wants to be like a future CMO or like a future VP marketing, but how do I level up in my career regardless, right? Maybe as like a superstar IC. What are your tips to the audience? Say, if you wanted to go the IC route or the people manager route. Yeah. So I think this really starts with the foundation of your company too. I've talked to a lot of marketers or just team members in general across a variety of functions that feel this way. They feel like I want to be paid competitively and I want to continue to do the skill set that I really like to do. And I don't want to manage people. So how can I find growth development with those three things? And the answer is a lot of businesses don't support a different path. I've always thought it's really funny that we take people who are ICs and are highly skilled in their field and then take them out of that field a little bit to give them a huge responsibility of managing people because it is a huge responsibility. Why don't we keep them in the role that they are incredible at? I've always thought that's strange. And a lot of companies are adopting this why growth pattern that basically enables this change where Team members can go in a people manager route, or they can go in a principal IC route, depending on the skill set of the employee and the growth mindset of the employee, where do they want to go? But the, the point of this is that they are still being developed as an employee. They are still being compensated fairly, and they are happier employees. And sometimes this takes testing also. Sometimes you have to be a people manager to realize that you don't want to manage people. Sometimes you have to let people be a manager of people to realize they shouldn't manage people and you move them to different places within the organization, you know, if you're if you're a leader in that team. I think developing having a conversation with the people operations team, the culture team, the CEO even at any stage and just saying this is something that I think we should think about. I would love to be a part of this conversation. Anytime that anyone comes to me with awesome ideas, whether it's about marketing or not, I always say, great, would you like to be a part of this solution? Would you like to develop some theories on how this could work? People that are passionate and bring ideas to the table usually want to be involved, even if it's totally outside of their function. So give them an opportunity to do that. Let them help you figure out what this should look like and then see how you can formalize this. Work with your HR team to figure out how can we formalize these two pathways? How can we identify the levels of these pathways, the compensation structure and benefit structure of these pathways? And how can we encourage employees to think about what pathway best serves them? And how can it show up in our performance reviews and the way that we hire people and the way that we promote people? How can these new pathways kind of serve as a cornerstone of our culture and our compensation and development philosophies. And I'm hearing more and more companies talking about that, but I I still don't think it's quite enough. 
Totally. And I've definitely felt that myself too. Like I've been in some companies where it's almost like once you got really good at your job, they want you to manage people. They're like, hey, why don't you lead a team of like other folks like you? You know, it'd be nice to clone you. That makes sense. But obviously that's not going to work. So we can find people that will eventually grow to become you. Totally. And I think all of the options are okay, right? I think if an employee is presented with an opportunity in your example, Danny, I don't know if I'm ready for that. There's a couple options. You can either take the opportunity or you cannot. That's it. Taking the opportunity will teach you if you are a great people manager and if you like it. That's the extent of that. Not taking it will not teach you that. So reframing some of your fear in sort of this learning capacity, I have also found really helpful. And I also think trusting your gut is a really good example of instinctual kind of answer to some of these questions too. And I think being able to, again, have these conversations with your HR team and saying, what if I don't want to do that? What could it look like if I didn't want to do that? And this is where this marriage always becomes important because employees have to remember that employees have to match the needs of the company. They have to go hand in hand. And I think sometimes employees forget this also. They come in and they're like, I want to do this and I don't want to do this and da 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 And they have all these kind of strict guidelines. But the reality is that you're there to serve the business. And there has to be simpatico kind of relationship. And that definitely starts by having those conversations, I think. And I love that. And I think that's really empowering to hear too, because I feel like a lot of folks, when they feel like they're stuck, they're almost kind of waiting for the formal conversation with their manager, with their leader. Instead of like bringing it up, they're always looking for the right time rather than saying like, hey, I've given a thought around this and here's the proposal on how it could work for me. Absolutely. Jump in there. Why not? The worst you're going to hear is no, it's not the right time for us or no, we're not interested in that. Great. That's a learning for you. Then you can move on, figure out what comes next. For sure. And curious for you too, like with you being uh, promoted throughout your career, what are some of the biggest challenges as you lean towards like this people manager role, as you started like leading teams of teams within the company? One thing I always struggled with was identifying my market value. I don't know if there are a ton of resources available for women to understand what they should be asking for, for compensation. So I'll just throw out a couple free resources that I always use to help. Pave, P-A-V-E dot com is a really great resource to help you benchmark salary according to your job function and your location and things like that. And I found that really helpful as I was navigating some of these questions around, I'm either being asked to take on new responsibility or I'm being asked to take on a new role or I'm vying for one. And I want to come to the table with not just a clear you know, outline of the value that I bring to this role and why it's important that I think I should be considered, but also I want to show that I've done my homework. And your team that you're going to may or may not know your market value, truly. They may or may not know the appropriate range for this role, depending on where they are in this hiring process. And so coming to them with some screenshots, with some printouts of here's what I found. You know, I'd love to learn what you found. I'd love to learn more about how our company thinks about compensation and determines compensation. That's another problem. Like, Way too many times in my career, I have been totally obtuse to how my compensation was determined. Because of that, it makes it very hard to identify 
how to grow my compensation over time. Do I have to wait for a promotion? Am I considered after a year of being there, kind of like a cost of living raise? Or like, how does this work? I think that's another kind of piece of that. I found a lot of value in coming to the table with a clear understanding of what this should look like for me. Also knowing and recognizing that your experience is always a part of this equation. It is inappropriate to think that you should be benchmarked against people who have different experience than you. And I find that women struggle with that a little bit. When I talk to women, I'll give myself as an example. I'm entering into a VP of marketing role, let's say. And I do a quick Google and say, how much should a VP of marketing make? And they throw out a number. And I say, I should make this because this is my new title. No, I am a brand new VP of marketing. This is going to be year one of VP of marketing. And so what I like to do always is present a range. Numbers fall within a range. The low end of the range and the high end of the range is based on experience. And so you need to put yourself appropriately in there and present that to your team so that you know what you're talking about, that you've done some research, that you've done your homework, and that you're excited about the opportunity. A little bit goes a long way here. So I've done screenshots before. I've encouraged other women who are asking for promotions or raises to include screenshots and to include language that says, this is what I'm finding. What are you finding? Help me understand what you look at. Different companies have wildly different compensation philosophies. So at Bonsai, for example, we benchmark off of one major city in every country, meaning we have team members remote living all over the world, right? All of our team members in the US, though, they are benchmarked off of New York City. Instead of being benchmarked off of every single little town that they are located in, because it's different now that we're remote cultures, right? You have to kind of reframe your compensation philosophy based on the reality of the marketplace, which is highly competitive now that a lot of people are going into an office. So thinking through things like that also is helpful. This is one of those things that fires me up because I know women are scared about it. I know everyone goes into that conversation feeling unprepared and it is okay to feel that way. And also to just get a couple little bits of ammo in your arsenal to help you feel a little bit more confident in your ask. I love that. And thank you so much for also providing that resource as well. I know like for myself and for other people I've talked to, we've always been asking each other like as a first step, hey, um, in your role, like I do something similar to you. How much are you making if you're comfortable sharing? I feel like normalizing these conversations should be something that should not be looked down upon. I think it's totally normal to talk about that. And I think like you mentioned something that really spoke to me is like prepare yourself for that conversation and ask to meet where the person where they're at. That's one of the things that was hard for me when I was asking for a promotion or like an increase in conversation. I feel like I didn't really give the other person really room to give me an understanding of how they got that information. I kind of assumed and then that didn't go well. So just like being vulnerable about it, I think being able to say, hey, I'm prepared. Can I see where you're getting that information? Let's meet in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. One mistake that I've made also in this conversation that I would highly advise against is setting up this conversation as a yes or no conversation, meaning either you're giving me the promotion that I'm asking for or you're not. 
This puts your manager and your finance team in a very, very hard situation because the reality is at every company, even huge companies, they still have finite amount of resources available. So I always recommend coming into this conversation with some fluidity around how can I get to here? Help me understand what it would take for me to get closer to where I'd like to be, which is over here. That is a way better conversation for your manager to enter into rather than yes or no. Yes or no puts your manager on the defensive. Yes or no puts a lot of pressure on your finance team. It enters into a conversation around, I don't know, we're now we're scrambling to find funds because we might lose this person. Instead of saying, truly thinking about this like a growth plan, can you help me build out a plan that could get me here in four months, eight months, 12 months, what would that look like? What would expectations look like? So that it's entering into a conversation. I have absolutely set up my managers in a way when I've asked for promotions that I have said like a yes or no. And those conversations have always been a lot harder to navigate than the ones where I have said, this is kind of what I'm thinking. This is what the market is also telling me. Now I know that I'm over here. So what will it take to get me to here? Because an awareness has to happen on your part also that you recognize you're here and have to get to here first. It's that same conversation we had around the range. You can't show up expecting to be here to make this or have this title when you're actually here. So some reflection has to take part here. And sometimes that's hard too. It can be as hard having a hard conversation with vulnerability as it is to take a real look and assess your skill set and the value you bring to a company. So all of that is part of this. But yes, I would highly recommend don't make it black and white. It'll make it a lot easier to have the conversation. I love that advice. And I feel like that also puts the other person or the team as like a partner to you as well. They're kind of like almost doing the work for you. You do not want to set this conversation up as a me versus them, as a here's what I want and how are you going to give me what I want, but rather this is the value I think I could bring to us. We're working on these initiatives next year. Here's the value that I think I could be really helpful in there. I know the business goals are X. How can we partner together to make sure the business gets what they need, what is most important to the business, and help me on my growth journey? Again, we have to remember that employees are there to serve the business. So coming to a conversation with me is not going to help. I mean, marketers know this better than anybody else. You can't create a bunch of content about me and think that you're going to sell a product. Customers don't want that, right? You have to partner with your manager, your HR, your finance team, whoever it is that you're having the conversation with to say, how can we do this together? That's exactly right, Danny. I love that you brought that up. And I think like this is so helpful for us because I feel like these are things that sometimes it's too awkward to ask your own manager. That makes sense. Like they're the ones making the call, but being able to talk to someone like you or someone else who is a senior member in a leadership function, I feel like it kind of makes it a little bit easier too. So going back to your tip of finding like a mentor in your role. So what are some of the ways you've done that without it making feel too transactional? Like, hey, would you be my mentor? Like, obviously that's not the right way to do that. So what have worked for you? I like to sit back and watch and see who inspires me in the company and the organization. If I'm looking for a mentor within the organization, sometimes it has been people within my function that are higher up. Sometimes it has been people outside of my function 
but someone that I really respect in the way that they navigate conversations. I like to watch people in meetings. How do they handle hard conversations? How do they manage conflict? How do they manage their team? How do they set expectations? I like to kind of do that. And then usually there will be someone who stands out to me that I think I could learn from or find value from. And a couple of times I have actually said, you have a skill that I don't have and am actively working on. Would you be willing to spend time with me to help me grow this skill set? And sometimes I haven't even had that conversation. I will just find myself drawn to, these are the people I ask questions of. These are the people that I call when I need something. And until they tell me to back off, they're my go-to. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it isn't even that formal, but I have always found that just sitting back and watching and seeing what comes to light has always been very helpful. Something else I'll say is on the flip side, the non-positive side, when you see someone behaving in a way that really gets under your skin, it is usually because they are behaving in a way that mirrors something that you also do. And I would highly recommend having some reflection on that and identifying how you can do some growth work there. So it's not only about being attracted to the people that are more skilled than you at other things, but also recognizing how can I grow my weaknesses by identifying other weaknesses on my team. Both of those can provide opportunities for strength. I love that what you mentioned there. I think all of us who's listening here in the audience have felt that before where like, let's say there was like a meeting and somebody just got a little bit on your nerves and you think instead of saying like, hey, what did this person do wrong? Think about why am I triggered by this work? Because oftentimes I do find that actually that I'm like, oh, shoot, I think I've done that before too. How can I avoid getting myself in that situation? This goes back to leading with curiosity. Like, oh, I wonder why I felt so angry in that meeting. Why was I feeling threatened? What value of mine felt unheard or unseen? That is hard to do in the moment. But if you take time when the emotions come back down to do that reflection, you could find some deep learnings there about how you can continue to grow as a human. And growing as a human benefits you as a professional and benefits the business as a professional. So always take opportunities to do that. It's not just about growing professionally. It's not just about like, how can I be better at Google ads? That stuff's important too. But you have to learn how to be a great communicator, how to handle conflict, how to manage these meetings, especially as you get higher up candidly in the organization. You have to deal with more crap. So I'm constantly looking around being like, who's going to answer that email? Oh, it's me. I'm now the person answering the emails. Like you have to figure out how to navigate these things. And those are the skills that people need to focus on alongside your professional tangible skills. 100%. And I love you saying that as well, because I feel like that's one thing that people don't really give themselves credit for, like especially people who really know like how to be empathetic in organization, how to be a good listener. I feel like there's so much emphasis being put on like, hey, develop the technical skills required to get XYZ job. But people don't really talk about like, hey, here are some of the issues that you might have to deal with, you know, when it comes to increased responsibilities. 
I could not tell you the last time that I was in an interview situation where someone said to me, here are some complex people situations that you might come into play. Now, one thing I will say is that when I interviewed at Demio, one of the things that I loved that we still do at Banzai is we did what was called a, a bar raiser or culture interview, where the interview was not with the hiring manager, but the candidate, myself, came into an interview with people cross-functionally to exclusively talk about culture. And that was a huge win. That was a huge opportunity to get a better sense specifically just of those needs. But you're exactly right. I mean, I think we don't talk about that nearly enough. Like, what does the scope of the team look like? How long has everyone been there? What do they like and not like? Can I talk to them? You know, like all of those things are important things to be thinking about as you're navigating a new position. And I know like we're totally over time, but one of my last questions for you as well, I know like, you know, you've definitely grown so much in your career and you've been a great mentor to other folks as well. So I'm curious, what's one piece of advice you give to the Ashley like five years before the Ashley that didn't really take this path yet? I would say, don't be afraid to keep saying yes. It's okay to keep saying yes. Trust that you can navigate situations you haven't navigated before. Even as I was saying yes, the fear is so real. But what I know is that fear can be a huge barrier to getting anything in your life, certainly advancing or growing or whatever. It can inhibit everything. And I think continuing to show up with curiosity and continuing to say yes is something that I would always tell my younger self because that is a clear way to move through that fear barrier and to get out of the other side. One of my favorite mentors, so the CEO of my first startup that I worked in, he once said to me, he's like, it's a sign that you're doing the right thing when the curiosity trumps the fear. So let that be like the forcing field. <laughs> Absolutely right. If that could lead us through, what a joy. And that's where you start to develop those critical thinking skills and asking the right questions and how do I learn more about this? And there's such an opportunity there if you lead with that. I think that's a great closing note. Well, thank you so much once again, Ashley, for joining us. I know I personally learned so much from you. And I think these are the conversations that we should be having as women, like all these tough conversations that you might be too scared to ask your colleague or manager, but like, why not bring the conversation up to the table to say yes to more things and go about it from a point of curiosity, but then also like doing your homework and showing up to the conversations with courage, but also meeting the person where they're at. Thanks for joining me on this episode of GTM Gals. For the latest episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Xiaohongshu, or on my website. All of this is linked in the show notes. See you next time. This show is a TAC Network original production created in partnership with Share Your Genius.